Welcome to New Manager Media, Manage Right from the Start, with Jennifer Takagi. I'm Jennifer, a former climber of the corporate and government ladders turned leadership development entrepreneur. I'm a leadership coach helping you transform your office from feeling like a prison cell into a playground where employees are energized, engaged, and eager to work. Stress is reduced. Productivity is increased. Communication is seamless because playgrounds are much more fun than cubicle cells. Leadership development might seem like hard work, but leadership done right helps you create the team of your dreams. Each week, I'll bring you an inspiring message to pave the way to your successful journey into a leadership role. Thank you for joining me today. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome to New Manager Media. Manage right from the start. We have a real treat on this episode because I have my friend, my colleague, Alexis Thompson, also known as Lexi, who is an author, just published a book that immediately went to bestseller, and an executive coach. And Lexi's book, she's written several books on gratitude. This book is called The Grateful Leader and How to Become, I said grateful, I meant graceful. Because you have to be grateful to be graceful. It all goes together. Those G words. So, Lexi, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, about your book journey. Being an author is so amazing. I love that. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess a little bit about me. I'm, you know, by day, I'm an executive coach. That's how I make a living. I hang out with um, senior and uh, higher level executives and their teams. So I have a, a fair amount of new leaders that are emerging um, with those teams. And the book I wrote, The Power of a Graceful Leader, is really the intention is to bring connectedness and gracefulness and love into the workforce. And new managers seem to get that a lot faster than the, their bosses do. In fact, I had a couple of new managers pick up the book and, and say to me, I'm going to give this to my boss. And I'm like, okay, you might want to put a little context around that, but go for it. So it's been really fun to see how people are receiving it. And that's why I love working with the new managers because they're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and they want to do it right. Yes. And I just don't have quite enough, um, I don't know if it's gumption, energy, or desire to work with the ones who've already been there for a long time that don't want to shift. The ones who want to shift, I mean, that's, I call those seasoned managers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are great to work with, but yeah. you know, if you walk into your boss, I had a boss once, if I had walked in and said, you need to read this book, um, <laughs> she would have read it, but the whole context would have been lost on her. <laughs> <laughs> she would not have had the capacity. I'm just saying <laughs> Yeah, no, I think the book meet, I'm hoping, and it seems to be, um, it'll meet you where you are. So you'll get as much or as little as the capacity that you may or may not have in that moment. And, and when, when I wrote the book and the intentionality of the book has been that you can revisit it. So the who you are today and the who you are five years from now, much like a lot of these leaders that you're working with, um, who they are right now is they're bushy, you know, got all the excitement going on. And who they are in five years, those experiences are going to shift their perspective. And as they would interface with this book and many other good leadership books, there'll be a different version. So they'll have a different experience. 
Well, and you know, that happens a lot in life. You read a book and, and then it speaks to you differently Yes. and not to get on a religious topic per se, but I've heard that a lot about the Bible. And that's why there's so much conflict over the Bible, because at my point in time in life, when I read a scripture, it means one thing to me and it means something different to you. And if we're not evolved, mature adults, which I don't think we have any left in America, um, you, you end up with the fight over it. And yeah. as I read this, I, I was reminded of a class I taught for the state and it was a new manager class, how to be a new supervisor. And every break she came up to me in tears and would say, I've been doing it all wrong. I've been doing Aww. it all wrong. And as I read the book, I thought, you know, the nice thing about this is it doesn't really matter if you did it all wrong. Wow. You can start today. Yeah. And do one thing differently that is going to make a huge impact. Like that ripple effect is going to be magnanimous. So why don't you tell us, you don't have to tell us all it's six tenants, right? Six mm -hmm. tenants of a graceful leader. Tell us one and give us a little bit of information about one so that number one, we wet people's appetites to read the book. It's on amazon.com. It is. Um, but also like to know that you can do this. Like we can all be better today. Yeah. So one of the ones, um, so these tenants are made to pick up whatever speaks to you. It's not a linear experience. So you can just skip to a chapter where that one's being spoken to and read that and leave the rest of the book if you wanted to. So one of the ones that some of the younger um, people in my um, following are grabbing a hold of, I and I think this is generational, is uh, the transparency tenet about self and others. And so in there it says, you demonstrate authenticity in their behavior and communication. They walk their talk. Um, young people nowadays aren't tolerating an incongruency there. And they seem to be able to sniff it out far better than you and I ever were able to as we were growing up in our careers. And then it talks, you're an active listener and is open, clear, and consistent with your message and its consequences. This is probably the growth edge for new leaders is because sometimes when I've worked in the communication space with new leaders, they have a uh, understanding or a belief that what worked in college or even high school, depending on where they are in their career is going to work and they're going to get a trophy, you know, for everything. And, and the reality is, is that, um, there's, there's a lot of friction, I think, that's required for you to learn your grit as a person and your grit as a leader. And so it requires um, some resiliency sometimes. And that happens by being able to leverage, being able to understand that there's going to be consequences. Some are going to be desirable. Others aren't going to be desirable. And then other ones are going to sneak up on you, those unintended consequences. And so you learn who you are in those moments inside this tenant. And so I would say the resiliency and the adaptability pieces of that particular tenant are really crucial. And the sooner you can get them in your evolution as a human being, much less as a leader, the better off everyone around you is. Well, and I love that you brought up the generational part because I was at a conference and I sat in on someone else's session on multi-generational workforces and, and what comes along with that. And she is even older than I am. And she stood in front of this group of mostly college students and some um, executives. It was a statewide management and ethics conference. 
And she goes, I just want you to know I'm a baby boomer, but I shouldn't be. I was born in the wrong generation because she was already evolved enough that she really should have been, you know, in one of the newer generations. And I hear friends and colleagues of mine all the time complain, oh, I've got this Gen Xer in my office or I've got this millennial in my office. And what we forget to do as leaders is understand what everyone brings to the table because whatever we bring to the party, it's all good. We just have to figure out how to harness it and leverage it. And that transparency and authenticity, I did a training for the federal executive board and a woman had worked at the air force base for many years as a civilian. And we were talking about change management. It was a whole day on change management. And I said, well, one of the most important things I found you can do as the instigator of the change or the one having to try to carry it out is when you don't understand why something is the way it is, you're honest about that. Like, I haven't gotten a, a, a solid reason on this, but this is what we're doing. So let's find a way to make it work, you know, and embrace it. So it's not like bashing the superiors, but I just don't get this. And she had a fit and told me that that was the worst advice ever. How could you ever admit to not knowing why your superiors gave an order? And I was like, well, you're in the military. But like that's, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily translate to corporate and federal government because that transparency is everything. People can get on board so much faster when you are open about it. Yeah, it's true. And um, my son went into the Air Force for six years and his biggest rub about that, well, he was a young man, so authority was a challenging experience in general. <laughs> but at the same point, he would he would want to, you know, offer a way to make something better or innovate, right, on the line because he was a crew chief on the airplanes. And they just wouldn't hear it. If it wasn't in the book, there was no tolerance for listening to it. And so that was really hard growing up with me as a mom who did those things um, that was a rub. So it is true that certain contexts or organizational structures will allow for this more than others. What I would say to you, though, is that as we're coming into the new way of being and the things we've had to learn just with COVID, right, resiliency and adaptability and pivoting things that you didn't ever thought that you would, um, I think we're going to see some of that breaking down. And I think we're starting to see some of it just in the past, you know, let's say, couple of years as things were whatever they were, wherever you were with how they were in our world. And um, nonetheless, I do think that even our military is, is humbling itself a little bit to allow for a different way of being. So, yeah. And, and one of the things that's, things that's hard as a leader is being open to those new ideas. And I, <laughs> I thought I was so brilliant. Something new came down I read it all. I thought I understood it. I created a PowerPoint. I called my staff together. I went through the PowerPoint and explained what all the new thing was and how we were going to implement it. And I had an employee who had been there. Well, by the time she retired, I think she had 48 years of service. But at that point, she probably only had 40. And 
I, I get through my whole presentation. I'm proud. I am really proud. I read this. I understood it. And this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to handle it. And she said, um, Jennifer, that's illegal. And if we do it your way, you know, there are going to be bad consequences. And so that's when I, I think I did that twice because I'm a slow learner. Um, and that's when I, I got to the point of having the meeting, explaining what I knew about it, and then allowing them jointly yeah. to come to a decision of like, how can we manage this, you know, and move forward. But that can be hard. Yes. And, and sometimes it does, it's not even generational in that aspect yeah. because somebody is new into a management role and they think they have to do it all. Yeah. And they're trying to, you know, look good and put their best foot forward. All those things that you want, you hired them to do, you know, but at the same point, there is a, um, one of the best things that I ever got advice on when I was a new, a new leader, um, a gentleman sat me down and said, you don't have to change the world. The world is not spinning off its axis and give it 30 days of listening and observing before you make any brilliant suggestions. And then we'll be more than happy to hear them. I was like, <laughs> yes, sir. Got it. <laughs> That's kind of like you have a choice when you step into a management position. Uh You can come in like a lion or like a lamb. Uh And, you know, typically the advice of the lamb is the (laughs) better advice because you do have a chance to see what's happening and what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. But I just love that, that authenticity. And I I was teased on a, on a, training thing there was a group of us and we traveled together and then they split us up a group of three a group of two and I (laughs) I kept being told by my two teammates you just have no sense of discernment like Mm -hmm. you can you not see what's happening there and I and then I owned that that I have no discernment And as a number of years have passed since then, I'm not sure that it's the discernment that I'm lacking as much as I really want everybody to be their best. So it can be really hard in a work setting to see that they may not be where they need to be. Yes. Like they can't necessarily get there and do it. So I was extremely authentic, but I couldn't necessarily see that other people were not being authentic. Yeah, there's that's a school of hard knocks. When, when you go in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, right? Because you're excited about your future. And especially in a multi-generational situation, um, people that have been doing it for 48 years, it's, it's not that they don't, they have a lot of value to add, right? But they also, because I don't know what the human condition is, but we also s- tend to get pretty cynical, right? We tried it that way in 1977 and it didn't work. We're in 2021, right? So maybe there, maybe it looks like that, but because we have newer technology and newer processes and whatever else, it isn't the 1977 application. So there's a, and, and that's why, you know, communication and, and just a willingness to be real. And, and yet I'll also say, that there are times as a leader that your vulnerability isn't the best thing to put forward, right? I mean, there are times when you're protecting or you're removing barriers and you need to be more confident. You need to be more assertive. So the whole point of the graceful leader, we use the infinity symbol for this, is that those tenants move around that infinity symbol based upon what the situation is calling for. And sometimes it's calling for your best version of 
you know, being confident and bold. And sometimes it's asking for your best version of yourself to sit back, be quiet and listen and everything that exists in between. And I think you learn that by experience more than anything. Well, you really do. And that's why, you know, I hated it as a young person when they would say, you know, wisdom comes with age and experience. And it was like, well, I want to be there. Like I wanted to, I want to jump to the front of the line. I want to faster to the fun pass. Let me, let Uh me be there. And some people really are, you know, wiser at a younger age than others. But I remember um, several situations over my career as a, as a manager and a leader where there were things that I was not allowed to share with my staff. Like Uh there are times when you can't be authentic and real because you cannot speak a word. And in the first situation, it was a personal personnel issue. And I, I knew about the situation for several weeks before it could be made public. And one of my employees called, pulled me aside after it did finally come out. And she said, wow, because I'm so chatty and I'm so talkative that they just assumed anything that happened would eventually come out of my mouth. And they were like, wow, I'm so impressed that you were able not to spill the beans on that. And I was like, absolutely. And then on our reorganization was the next big one, which was the opposite of that. I found out at 5.30 on Tuesday that there was going to be this massive reorganization across the country. And if you did not work in one of the 10 offices that would remain, you had to retire, relocate, or resign depending on your where your years of service and what you wanted to do. And then it was announced to the country at 1 o'clock on Wednesday. And now all these years later, I still have people who think I knew all along and just wouldn't tell anyone. And it was like, no, like at 530 on Tuesday. And then I just couldn't say anything until after the big announcement at one o'clock on Wednesday. But those are those lessons that uh, if you pay attention to what's going on, you know which way to go. Like, I need to keep my mouth shut on this. And then there are other things that's like, okay, now is the time I have to. No, for sure. And I think that I can, you know, you bringing that up brought up a couple of examples in my younger leadership path. And I remember I'm kind of like a, um, I seek justice in all things. I'm always for the underdog and those types of things. And I remember the first time I was, you know, given a piece of information, much like you had that you couldn't share. I mean, for the safety of everybody in a lot of ways. Um, and I remember being at home and really journaling the night because it felt like I was holding a um, duality on it. Like if I didn't say anything, then what were my, mostly my peer group, I understood down the food chain, but my peer group didn't all know. And then, but if I did say something, then, you know, it, it was going to potentially create havoc with that peer group. And there was some safety issues, not like life, but maybe in some ways, you know, emotional for sure life. And I remember it was really, really hard and I felt really out of integrity for a while because as a peer, I felt like I needed to. We kind of had a bond. We shared everything, right? Um, but that was a really rough lesson for me and and I, I wouldn't do it differently. I, I feel like I made the right decision, but I did lose a couple of friendships because of it and, you know, in my peer group. And 
that's kind of the, as you grow in your career as a leader, one of the things to understand is when you, hopefully you choose leadership and you don't just let leadership choose you. It's not for everybody. And, and in that process, as you go up, let's say, or around in your career, one of the things you're going to realize is that your peer group and your air quotes friend group become smaller and smaller and smaller um, because you have so many people under your steed and, and that's part of it. And it can be alarming and shocking to you get promoted because you're be the best senior accountant one day, but you're going out drinking with your friends. This is a new manager problem all the time. And then on Tuesday, you've got the promotion and you're really being advised that you really don't need to go to the bar and hang out with your friends anymore. And that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> My example of that, I had a boss, she was like two up from me and in our regional office. And when I was promoted and, and most everybody listening, you're already a leader, whether you have a title or not. And then you get a promotion into a position where you actually have the title and the responsibilities that go with that. But typically we were leaders in the sandbox, but she called me and she knew I went to lunch every day with all my colleagues and the day after I got promoted, she said, quit going to lunch with your people and only go to lunch if there's a group so that, you know, if anything said, there's like more than one version. And I was like, yeah, I've been here long enough. You don't understand. Like we're friends, like we're really friends until we weren't friends anymore because so I, I learned the hard way that if it's not a group, don't go. And if everybody's not invited, don't go. And I've never missed lunch. And, and sometimes I had to go by myself, but I wasn't going to miss lunch. I think it's important to get away from what you're doing. Uh -huh. And, um, but that's a hard lesson because really hard. you really think it's not really that you're above it all. Cause that sounds yeah. kind of stupid, but you just really think you're going to have the skills to navigate it. Yeah. And you can navigate it until something goes awry. And you have to keep something to yourself. I lost some friends over my situation too. Yep. How could you not tell me, you know, well, I couldn't like, yeah. you know, and mine was a safety issue. They were kind of afraid somebody would go off the deep end a little bit. Wow. Luckily it didn't go that way, but yeah, it's really hard to yes. um, walk that line of authenticity and transparency and maintain your level of professionalism and not be authentic and transparent when you can't be. A lot of times it's a, a change in the way things are going to be done, which was my situation for a long time. I had no idea training the whole country on a new way of doing business was going to work myself right out of a job. Mm -hmm. I just thought we were trying to get continuity. I didn't know there was a bigger, deeper plan in there, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. And then it was Jennifer, you knew, no, honestly, I did not know. Yeah. And I think leadership in general, I mean, th this is another piece of wisdom I got was you should be working as a leader. You should be working yourself out of every single leadership role that you have, because that means you're grooming the people underneath you. You're creating paths to the new version. And when I heard that, I was like, it took me six years to get this VP title. There's no way. There's no way. I'm going to hold here for a little while. Um, 
And then, you know, a year into it, I was like, you know what, that's, it's not, it can't work. And I see something else I want to go do or whatever. And that's another humbling reckoning moment inside your own constitution around, you know, being impactful and being in the way becomes a very fine line. Um, the more you rise in your leadership capabilities. So yeah, those are humbling moments. Well, they are. And my dad was the world's best. I followed in his footsteps um, and worked for the same federal agency he worked for. Uh And everyone would say, oh, he's a working leader. And I was like, working leader, working manager, what does that mean? And that was roll up your sleeves when, you know, there's a huge deadline and you help. But he was really great at promoting people. Uh And he told me that there were other peers of his who would refuse to promote someone because they were so valuable in the job they were doing. And there were several that happened to you. And I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever. It would never happen to me (laughs) until, until it did. And I wanted to, our, our, my division was separated into two halves and I only knew this one half really well. And I wanted to, I want to, it was a lateral move, no pay included. I just wanted it lateral over there so I could understand what they did and how they did it. And I, you know, expand my skills. And when my boss looked me square in the eyes and said, no, because you're too valuable where you are. I was like, what? Fast forward, he passes away. I apply for his position. I'm not selected, which with everything going on in my family, I was really kind of good with, but you know, it was kind of one of those deals you apply for the next position Uh and the boss's boss's boss came to town and said, I just want you to know you didn't get that job because you didn't try to learn the other half of this division. And I just didn't think you wanted it or were capable or you would have learned it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I said, well, here's the deal. Uh, I was going to learn it this year, but I was too busy learning how to manage because I hadn't managed in that capacity in that division before. Then the next year, my dad got cancer and I was back and forth to MD Anderson for nine months every other week with my dad. So I couldn't really take that on. Then, then, then something else happened. And I said, and then Tom died and here we are. So I just want to say I could never go back and relive that and do it differently. And if that's why you didn't pick me, I own it. And I am good with that. And he was like, what? I mean, he really thought he was beating me up, but it was like, nope, I wouldn't have relived my life a day differently over those years. But um, I mean, that's kind of hard when Mm -hmm. you are going to face that at some point you're going to be told you can't have the next job because you're too valuable where you are. Um, another piece of really good advice I got was your goal as a manager is to be able to come in every day and drink a cup of coffee and read the paper. Yeah. And I said, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. And he goes, yeah, it's never going to happen, but you want your people so trained and so elevated that you could. Uh And most managers are so hung up on hanging on to their title, hanging on to that position, reaching for the next. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Do you, how do you handle, because part of being a graceful leader is owning that you don't want to lead others, even though you're always a leader in your own life, whether you own it or not. Right. But 
there, I mean, there was a point later in my career when I had a consulting company and I just eventually one day woke up and said, I don't want to do that anymore. Right. I don't want to be responsible for time cards and who's doing what and results, results, results. And I, I wish one of the things I wish for up and coming leaders is that the minute they recognize that if it's in year three of leading or year 53 of leading, it doesn't matter that they own it because um, there's a thing that seems I seem to see in the executive coaching world that I do where if people haven't owned it, but it's their truth that they don't really want to lead, it's not pretty, right? And, and it, you end up taking, sucking the energy out of so many other humans along the way and you're not happy. Like on top of it, you're not even happy. So um, do you face that when you're working inside? Um, I would think for sure in the federal area, but what's your experience with that? Well, very early in my career, I went to the federal government. Um, I had a temporary position there for like six months when I was right out of college. I graduated with a French degree when there were no jobs and people didn't understand the capacity I would have to learn French and Spanish that I can learn a lot, but they didn't see it that way. I didn't have a technical degree or a business degree. And so like I took any job I wanted. So if, if you ask me, did I want to go into the housing industry? No, no, I did not. I just, <laughs> one of my number one values is security and I wanted a paycheck and I figured after hours I could do whatever I wanted not just be brilliant at work. And then, you know, whatever I wanted to do after but I saw all these people who, you know, in my opinion, were old timers and they could retire. Like they had hit the age of retirement and they could go, they could like have a life, they could do something else and they stayed. And it was like, why are you staying? And then they were a problem. Like they pushed back on everything. Yeah. So my motto was, as soon as I become part of the problem instead of the solution, I need to go. Beautiful. And so that, I mean, I carried that with me. And when I was in my 40s, I had a colleague in another office and we talked all the time, you know, how do you handle this? What are you going to do? Yep. And we made a plan that I was going to retire at 50 and she was a few years older than me, but didn't have as many years of service. So that was kind of the plan. And she goes, well, will you stay a few more months until I can go and we'll go together. And I said, well, you're asking a lot, but yeah, you know, I can suck it up six or eight more months. So that was my plan. Well, we, in the federal government, every time there's a new president, there are changes. Right. And your agency is affected by those changes. And the question is, is it in your best interest or not? <laughs> you just have to live with it. Uh -huh. And a, a change was made because so many people were eligible to retire that, um, they took away the ability to retire early. Oh, no. So at 50, I would have had um, 25 years of service and I could go. And they took that away. And it was like, oh, no, now I can't go. Well, I didn't plan on retiring then for a number of years. And so I had to make a conscious decision. I... I'm going to do this the best of my ability until I can go. 
And then shockingly, a year later, they made this big announcement and I did go ahead. I retired at 51. But I just, I felt like there were people there that were in the way and causing trouble. Yeah. And if I could give one piece of advice to everybody who hears this, create a life outside of work. Oh, for sure. Because people don't retire because they don't know what they're going to do. Um, an elderly man worked for me. I had my first official management position when I was 23 at a mortgage company and he was 60, whatever. And I said, well, you know, why, why do you want to work here at the mortgage company? And he said, all my friends died within six months of retiring and I'm not ready to die. So he had been a, a vice president of a bank and really high up. And he took a clerical position being a collection agent in a mortgage company because yeah. he didn't want to die. But then he golfed every weekend. He, like he had a life and I don't know how many years he lived after that. Cause I, I moved on and did something else, but you have to have a life and people stay because they don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. And, and then it's too late. Like it, it is, there is a point where it's up help. on you. Yeah. One thing I will say about at least, you know, my kids are in their late twenties. And one thing I will say that it really makes me hopeful for the generations coming behind us is that they're investing in experiences, not things We're reinvested in things, right? Cause that's just what we acquire, do, acquire, do, acquire, do. And there's a whole new regime coming behind us. Um, so I'm hopeful that that becomes less of a, less of a thing, but I will tell you that I know a lot of people that say, you know, especially teachers, there's a thing in education where if you retire and you live to the 19th month after retirement, you'll be fine. But you most likely will die between the 12th and the 18th month. And like there's statistics that seem to prove that out. But I guess I wouldn't want to retire if I thought the ultimate thing after that was death. No, thank you. <laughs> well, and you know, it's all about choice. Yes. It is all about choice. There is a book out there. If you haven't read it, um, I highly recommend it. And I got the audio version, which was even better because one chapter was read by the author and the next chapter was read by his doctor. So they traded off who wrote oh, cool. the chapter and it was called Younger Next Year. And nice. it was, no matter what age you are, no matter what your physical condition is, if you start exercising and eating right, you chronologically can make your body think that it's a year younger than it truly is. Yeah. And so I, I think that kind of becomes part of it too. You work so hard that you put off taking care of your physical and mental and spiritual health. Yeah. And yeah. that weighs on you. And then, yeah. you know, <laughs> poof, you're, you're gone. And, yeah. and then what did you accomplish? So um, getting back to your question of, you know, how do you quit leading? I watched several influential people at HUD request to step down from their management position because of the stress. Yeah. But they were still leaders. So I, I heard this one time and I've just completely embraced it. And that is a manager manages tasks. Uh -huh. A leader leads people. Uh -huh. So to get the promotion, you have to be both. Like 
all through the 20th century, you only had to manage, right? Uh And nobody cared about a leader because that's not how we were set up. And now we have moved into, if you're not both, your people aren't happy. No. And you have to be both. And so if you've gotten to the point where you don't want to do the budgets, you don't want to do the year in reviews, you don't want to handle the personnel problems, you don't want to hang out with the HR people to figure out what to do with this person who won't perform, step down from it and know you can still be a leader because guess what? Yeah. Those managers need the leaders on their team to help people get on board with things. If you have a change initiative, find your leader, call them in your office, share everything you can so that when they're at lunch with their friends, they can support what's coming instead of everybody being, you know, total pushback. So you can still be an amazing leader without having the title. And someone asked me the other day, oh, I was a guest on a podcast and she said, my son is very much a follower and my husband and I are working with him to build up his confidence so he can be more of a leader. And I said, well, the good news is when the going gets tough and the kids are doing the wrong things in high school, Your son, even though he's not the leader, will step up and say, yeah, no, I'm out on this. And other people are going to follow him out. So it's okay if your kid is not in charge of the sandbox. (laughs) Oh, please, for sure. (laughs) Because they can still be a leader. Like that quiet person that, you know, they don't go make those bad choices. Mm -hmm. There's a whole group watching that. And that's my other big thing. If you're in a management position, everybody is watching every single move you make and don't think they're not going to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. It is going to happen. It's sooner than you may think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I watched it a lot. <laughs> if you yeah. could leave us with one really great piece of advice, what would it be? For, the, for a new manager, I would say that I would really work with alignment piece. And that's one of the six tenets. And what I mean when I say that is make sure much to what you said, that you're building a life that you, you actually want to live into and the work you do, whether you're leading or not leading supports that life. And when you do that, a lot of just other synchronicities and brilliance and magic comes along the way for you. Um, yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Ah, I love that. So where can we find you where? Oh, and this is not your first book. The Graceful Leader is not your first book. It's your what? Fourth? Fifth? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's fourth? My fourth. Yeah. All right. Where can we find you? Where can we find your books? Sure. Thank you for asking. So AlexisThompson.com. It's, um, has a unique spelling. First name is A-L-E-X-S-Y-S and then Thompson.com. You can find the journals because I don't have those anywhere, but in my own website. And then on Amazon, there's the Gratitude 540 book and the most recent, A Power of a Graceful Leader. Thank you. I love it. Thank you, Alexis. And thanks for being here with us today. And Find out more on AlexisThompson.com. And if you want to continue this conversation, join me over in the Facebook group, New Manager Mastery, where we can talk about this some more. You can read the book and we can talk about it. Like what tenant of the six do you want to embrace, embody, and move on to the next? 
I'm Jennifer Takagi with New Manager Media. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you for joining today. Please hop on over to iTunes to leave us a review and share our channel with your friends and family. Head over to TakagiConsulting.com slash gift for a great free gift. Also, you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and TakagiConsulting.com. We would love to hear from you. And may your days be filled with more success than you ever dreamed possible. Thank you.